Jewish Latin Princess, episode 30, Stacy Middleman, author of Dear Cancer, Love Stacy. You're listening to Jewish Latin Princess podcast by Yael. Every week, get your dose of inspiration from the world's most uniquely talented Jewish women and from Yael herself. Seeking profound and practical ways to live a joyful, richer Jewish life? Welcome to Jewish Latin Princess Podcast. And now, Jewish lifestyle expert and bilingual blogger at JewishLatinPrincess.com, your host, Yael. You're listening to Jewish Latin Princess, everyone. Welcome back. I'm Yael Trush, your host. Today's interview is moving and inspiring. My guest is a cancer survivor. She was diagnosed with breast cancer twice. And today we talk about her journey and her new book, Dear Cancer, Love Stacy. Stacy Middleman is on the show. Stacy is a Houstonian now living in Austin, Texas. She's a wife and mother of two children. And she was diagnosed with breast cancer at the early age of 35. After a double mastectomy and fully recovering, eight years later, she found out that she had cancer again. Her book started as a Facebook page called where she would share her raw emotions as she dealt with both the practical and emotional parts of this journey. Why did just why did Stacy want to write this book? How has cancer changed her as a human being? What helped her overcome negative emotions throughout the journey? We talk about her family life and the impact her journey has had on her children. We take a look at Stacy's Jewish life as well and the traditions that are important for her. Stacy will be presenting on her book at Houston's ERJCC Book and Arts Festival on Monday, October 30th at 7:30 p.m. If you're in Houston, I encourage you to come join us and do stop by and say hi. Get ready for a very powerful interview, everyone. Here's Stacey Middleman. Stacey Middleman, welcome to Jewish Latin Princess. Thank you so much. It is so nice to have you here. I can't believe we lived in the same town and we probably moved in similar circles, yet we never got the chance to meet or connect. I am so pleased and honored that we're getting the chance now. Well, and I appreciate it. Thank you. You just came out with a book, Dear Cancer, Love Stacy, a very personal story and something that started of all places Facebook. Um, and one might think that perhaps you did not need um, the Facebook page anymore, thankfully, yet you wanted to continue this, turn it into something more, I guess, permanent. So before we even get into the book, take us back to the origins of this Facebook page, um, how it all started, and then how you decided to turn it into a book. So I was diagnosed with breast cancer twice. Mm -hmm. The first time was in 2005. And at the time, I happened to be PTO president at my children's elementary school. And I had a whole community of people really helping me out and rallying for me. And I felt like I needed to communicate with them. You know, I really wanted to kind of let them know how I was doing. And at the time, Facebook may or may not have existed. I don't even remember. Mm -hmm. Um, but I was using email and I was communicating that way. And my emails really turned into something more than just 
kind of checking in and letting people know when my appointments were and what was going on, I just really kind of started expressing myself and what it was really like to go through this experience. I was Mm. 35. And, you know, part of it, I think, was wanting people to understand and also needing a place to kind of get this all out of my system. Because, you know, it's a life changing experience. And when you're that young, it's you know, has its own kind of ramifications. And my emails really turned more into kind of letters. Mm -hmm. And so I wrote them, you know, when when they struck me. And when I finished my treatment, then, you know, I really kind of stopped the emails, I didn't really feel the need to communicate anymore. Mm -hmm. So I was re-diagnosed eight and a half years later. And it was quite honestly, more shocking, because it was just so unexpected. And it's such an overwhelming experience. You are so totally inundated with dealing with making doctor's appointments and communication and, you know, letting your your closest family and friends know. And so kind of letting everybody else know people that you do care about and you know care about you. It's it's a very daunting task to communicate. And that was really the First, my first impulse was to use Facebook because it's such an easy way to communicate and you don't really have to reach out to everybody. It gives them an opportunity to kind of just, you know, see what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, I decided to make it a Facebook page rather than like my personal page mm-hmm. because I I kind of didn't want my, my personal stream to be all about cancer. Mm-hmm. And, and I really did know because of the way the letters happened with my emails all those years before, I knew I was going to be writing. I knew I had something to say and a lot to say. And that is really how the Facebook page started. So before we move to the book, you talk about getting the being re-diagnosed at eight years later at 43. Um, and I think it was after you'd already had a double mastectomy, right? That is correct. Which is, it is unusual. Um, take us to that moment of shock and disbelief. So I... I, um, to clarify, when I was first diagnosed, we actually found the, well, it wasn't really a tumor. It was found on a mammogram. And at the time, I I have a strong family history. My mother had breast cancer when Mm -hmm. she was 54. My aunt, her sister had it in her 30s. So I, I kind of had a sense that there was something going on in my family, mm-hmm. uh, which which is why I started mammography so young. I was 30 when I started. Mm-hmm. And I had heard of genetic testing, but I didn't really know what it was. It was very new back then. Um, so I didn't do that. I just did the screenings. And then when I was diagnosed, I went ahead and had genetic testing. Mm-hmm. And I did test positive for the BRCA2 mutation, which is more common among the Jewish community. Right. Just to make a note of that. Um, because I did test positive, it alerted me to why I was at such high risk. Mm-hmm. And that is why I chose to have a bilateral mastectomy. So one side was to remove the cancer. The other was really prophylactic. And I did not need any other treatment because it was such an early stage cancer. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I think I knew that there was no guarantee that that it wouldn't come back. Mm -hmm. But I really, really believed so strongly that I had 
kind of check this off my list that I had done what I needed to do. Right. And, you know, I was doing great. And there, there are other preventative things you can do if you are positive for one of these mutations, but they are very difficult choices to make. They're prophylactic surgeries to remove your breast, remove mm-hmm. your ovaries. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had not had my ovaries removed yet. And I developed this small tumor kind of right below my breast. It was basically an Im- right below my implant. Mm-hmm. And I really didn't think it was anything. My doctors didn't really think it was anything. And then it got bigger. And that is when I had it removed. But you know, I I don't hold anybody responsible for not really like knowing that's what it was. I think it was just so unexpected, even though it was a possibility. Right, right. And you were doing so well. Yes. And I was getting routine screenings. This was not something that we overlooked. I think we just didn't know that this mass would be cancerous. Mm -hmm. I think that is what was so shocking to me and my family and my doctors. Um, so that's really kind of how that unfolded. And yeah, it was just an absolute shock. You know, I, I can't say that I didn't know it could happen again, but I, I really didn't, I didn't really fully understand that it could happen again. So also to clarify, this was not a recurrence. I, my first cancer did not come back as, as, as a spreading of cancer. This was a brand new primary cancer, which was actually in my favor. I mean, it's not, you know, a good thing. It's never a good, thing but but there is a distinction between a recurrence and and another primary cancer so that's that's how that went down so then you started dealing with this new um, challenge and you start communicating and expressing your feelings, communicating with others and also expressing your raw feelings and everything that's going on through this Facebook page. At what point in the journey do you think you're going to turn this into a book? That is such an interesting question because I had actually felt compelled to publish my emails from all those years ago. Uh-huh. And I had been I had been pursuing that for a little while. I met with a woman in New York who was interested in my story and and she's an agent who did actually help me along in this process, but nothing really came of that. And then I was re-diagnosed and then I started writing again. And I never wrote those posts with the intention to publish. Okay. Those posts were written 100% organically. I would wake up in the middle of the night because I could not sleep and it would come to me or I would be driving and something would come to me and I would pull over and kind of take some notes and then run home and write it. These were things that were just kind of flowing out of me. Mm. And I, I, I really did need to express myself that way. Mm-hmm. You know, I think when people started responding the way they did and I was past treatment and kind of getting back to a little bit of normalcy in my life mm-hmm. and honestly going back and rereading it, I felt like really kind of the beginning of the journey and really like, well, the whole journey, but particularly the Facebook posts mm-hmm. from beginning until I kind of, you know, slowed down my writing really did read like a story. I mean, and it really, I feel like it really does kind of take you on this journey of what it is like from the very beginning, from the shock to thinking you're going to be okay to, you know, really fearing for your life and, and kind of going through the treatment and the motions and coming out the other end. And 
I felt like I had something that was worthy and that people responded to. And that is what really compelled me to want to publish it as a book. Wow, so beautiful. Congratulations. There, Dear Cancer, Love Stacy, there is an intentional omission on the placement, um, or I'm sorry, there is just an omission of, of the coma there. Um, what does that mean, Stacy? That is a fabulous question. And I am kind of a grammar freak. So I appreciate it. <laughs> I am too. <laughs> yeah. So part of that is as a title, and this was the title of my Facebook page. And really, uh -huh. that's why I kept it the title of my book, because I didn't really want to, you know, try to manipulate that. Um, as a title to have two commas, first of all, looked uncomfortable, mm -hmm. um, a little much. And I was actually asked this question in an interview a couple of years ago. And there was something about, you know, there's a lot of anger and rage in my in my writings, because mm -hmm. you know, that's quite obvious where that comes from. Right. But there's also immense love and joy for my life and my family. And I kind of felt like it could be almost like an adjective. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not angry, Stacy. I'm not fearful, Stacy. I am love, Stacy. Mm -hmm. And that that is really that was part of the decision in in eliminating that comma. Well, good for you because yeah, the focusing on that on that positive part of the journey, the gratitude, the love, the joy, like you said. I, I can only imagine that it was, it was, must have, it is so important. And I can only imagine it was so important for you. Uh, um, talk to us about that, about pushing through the negativity. I, I, I'm sure it's, there's a lot of fear. I'm sure there's terrible thoughts. And yet you pushed through somehow, um, the tumult. So, um, take us there a little bit. How does that, how does one do that? You know, a lot of that first and foremost comes very naturally. I, I have and had an incredibly, I've always had a joyful life and a mm. happy marriage mm -hmm. and a very fulfilling family life. And, mm -hmm. you know, we have a really, really great family dynamic. And we're also surrounded by wonderful friends and family. And so, you know, when something like this happens, obviously people are there and supportive and you feel all of this love kind of being, you know, sent your way. And, and that is a very palpable feeling. Um, but I really did just feel so grateful. You know, this was an incredible struggle and it is still a struggle. You know, it, it is definitely a quality of life issue, kind of being a survivor and the things that come along with that. But I also feel very, very lucky in my marriage and in the privilege that I have in my life. But also, let's face it, I'm a survivor. I mean, you know, I've been through this twice, which, you know, I talk about luck a lot and feeling lucky. When I say I feel lucky, I actually just feel grateful. I feel so much joy for my life and the fact that I have and can survive this, you know, twice and hopefully for a very, very long time. And that was something that I grappled with for real. And I still grapple with, I mean, you know, we lost a lot of young people in our community around the time that I was going through my second battle. And in fact, before my first one too. Mm -hmm. um, so I am very aware of that from my own perspective, but also just knowing that people who I know have lost loved ones and 
that's a really that's a really challenging thing as a survivor. I, I didn't really experience that the first time. I think I kind of I was so young. I kind of wanted to move on, not deny that I was a survivor, but kind of just pretend like it never really happened. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I feel very differently about that now um, because not everybody survives this disease, and and I don't just mean breast cancer. I mean cancer in general. Right. You know, so so I do just feel incredibly grateful and do and loved. Th- do you think it's um, a blessing and almost like a mandate to do something with it? To that you've been given this gift b- because you've been called to a higher um, to do something um, even greater than yourself in some ways. Well, there's no question that my impetus to publish this book, and you know, there's a documentary that that kind of goes along with it. Yes, that feels yes. Yeah, so so that feels very much removed from me. You know, I never wanted this to be a story about me. Right. This is a story about struggle and overcoming and coping. You know, it's really about that. I think no matter the outcome, you have to you have to figure out how to get through your life and right. and find find that gratitude and find that joy and overcome your frustration or fear or anger or whatever that is. I mean, that can be incredibly burdensome. Um, and you have to find a way to deal with it. And I do think I, for wherever it came from, I, I have a voice for that. And I think it is a very universal experience. Um, and, you know, the way people responded to me, I felt like I was kind of giving voice to a lot of those feelings that maybe other people were experiencing, but didn't know how to put into words. So, so yes, that that is something that I do feel very much I, I've kind of never wanted this to be about me. I certainly don't like or or seek out the spotlight, but right. I do hope that it that it really moves people and and helps people going through it and not just people who are going through it, but friends and family of people going through it because that I think is the hardest part that mm. you cannot understand what it's like to experience this and unless it's you. Um, and even my own family and my closest friends, like they're not the ones in my body and in my head experiencing this. And, and I really wanted them to understand what that was. And I hope that, you know, helps other people in the same situation. And, um, and I'm sure it will. It's so, so powerful. Um, you mentioned friends and family, and you went through this when your kids were in their teenage years. As it is, it's a hard period in life, both as a parent and just as a teen. Um, right. I know you can't fully comprehend what they went through, just like they can't fully comprehend what you were going through. But certainly there must be some insights into, as a mother, what you um, experienced. When my when I first was diagnosed, my kids were seven and nine. Little you kids. know, everybody, yes, they, they were young, not so young that they didn't know what was going on. You know, right. if you probably, if you have toddlers, they may really not know what's going on. But they were in second and third grade. The first thing we did was sit down and tell them. I mean, we had probably told our family and friends before we told them because we definitely were kind of dealing with what my treatment was going to be and kind of getting prepared. But, you know, I've always believed that honesty is the best policy. Yeah. And we 
we really are very open and we just sat down with them and, you know, they kind of had a sense that something was going on because I was on the phone a lot Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I'm not much of a phone person. So they were kind of giving me a little bit of grief, Um, but we just told them, you know, I have these bad cells in my body and I'm having surgery to get the bad cells out and I'm going to be fine. And at that time, I really did have the luxury of planning ahead because my surgery was not urgent. Mm -hmm. So I gave myself kind of, you know, a a period of time to kind of really get ready. And everybody helped take care of my kids. They were driving them to school and making play dates and, you know, all those things. So their life remained really stable and comfortable. And it was so fascinating. When I was re-diagnosed, I asked them, if they remember what it was like going through it the first time. Mm -hmm. And I think both of them said they didn't really remember. Like it just kind of came and went. It was just, you know, a time in our life. And, you know, immediately after surgery, my mother-in-law actually took them out of town for a week. So they were not home with me during the really, really difficult, you know, first couple of weeks after surgery. Right. So by the when they got back, you know, our, our life at home was fairly normal. And I'm sure that's why, you know, their memory is kind of faded. And then um, how was this, it different the second time around? Or was it? Well, the, the second time around, I got I was sitting in my daughter's room with her when I got the phone call from my doctor. Oh, wow. Yes. So she was with me when I found out, um, which was you know, when I say it was such a shocking experience, just the whole thing was just incredible. So she was sitting next to me. I had the conversation with my doctor. I hung up the phone. I just really kind of blurted it out. I said, I've got cancer. And we just started crying together. It was a really overwhelming experience. I'm sure it will. I'm sure it did and will have an impact on her for the rest of her life. My son was down the hall. It was it was in the afternoon after school. I mm-hmm. walked straight into his room and I told him, I mean, I, honestly, my children knew before my husband because they were standing there with me. Um, and then, of course, I told my husband and then we started the whole process of, you know, calling our immediate family and all that. Um, you know, once again, I think my kids were really resilient because I think they kind of observed that in me. Mm-hmm. You know, I told them, I said, it is going to get bad before it gets good, which it did. Mm-hmm. Um, but we prepared them as best we could. I do write about that a little bit in the book mm-hmm. because when I would, you know, kind of say, okay, guys, you know, it's going to be rough. They're like, everything feels fine, you know? And I don't know. I I really, that is something, you know, my kids have to get tested for this BRCA gene. Right. And that is an incredible burden as a parent to know that my kids may be at risk for, you know, going through what I've been through. And that is something that we are coping with and we will have to cope with in the future. Do they talk about the fact that they have to go through this? Yes. And we also try not to let it consume us. Good. You know, we we talk about how right now is not the appropriate time to do it. I I want them to get through college and have, you know, a normal, happy, healthy experience and not worry too much. But they will have to find out. And it's going to be really hard for everybody in our family. Um, you know, to kind of brace ourselves for the testing and then to deal with the ramifications if, you know, one or both of them test positive. And honestly, just their family history in general, even if they ultimately test negative for this for this gene and they do have a 50 percent chance of carrying it, 
um, you know, they still have a higher risk because of just our family history. So, you know, all I can hope for beyond praying that, that they are okay is that they have developed coping skills to deal with, you know, really, really difficult challenges that may lie ahead. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that that ability, whether it's this medical challenge or others, as you and I know, as adults, they life has is full of those little things we call challenges. So all of this will serve them anyway, um, to deal with whatever comes their way, God willing, will be a smooth ride, both medically and in other areas of their lives. But um, it seems like the by you being such a hopeful, strong, resistant woman, and I can't even imagine, I'm sure your husband is also an amazing father and, and spouse, they've, they've seen, you know, how to deal with life's challenges in, in such a positive way. Well, well, thank you. That is definitely our hope for them. I mean, it is, it is how we function as a family. And that makes me feel really good about that. You know, people sometimes ask me, you know, what would I change? And I've always felt really strongly that I really wouldn't change anything when it comes to, you know, our family life and how we've raised our kids. And Wow. It really is my greatest hope. I think that was, you know, another reason I wanted to publish this book was really as a gift for my children so that they can be reminded of, you know, what, what this was like and, and so that they can really know who I am as a woman and not just as their mother, mm. uh, you know, to look back and, and, you know, it, it may ultimately be a tool for them one day to say, you know what? These are really, really tough things, but we get through, you know, life goes on and, and you move forward and you roll with the punches and some of them are really tough, but you really do get through and you, you, you have to find a way. Right, right. Talking about being a wife and a mother, um, which as we know are in and of itself challenging roles, they come with lots of, you know, lots of it, it they're difficult roles they're beautiful roles and but yet they're you know there's just life in general as wives as mothers i can only imagine that going through what you went through you must have changed in some ways for the good um and i guess that's my question have you seen changes in how you just deal with just the regular stuff that perhaps 10 years ago would have been a big deal. And maybe now it just isn't. And, you know, and in, in your roles as a, as, as spouse, as mom. Yes. Yes. And no, I, I tell me to be perfectly honest, a lot of the things that, as you say, as we get, you know, in raising kids that you realize are not as important or kind of letting go Mm -hmm. a lot, a lot of that happened for me with time. You know, it's, it's kind of, it's like an age old adage that we just get, you know, wiser with time. Totally. (laughs) Yes. I am 47. Now there is truth to that. Yes. You know, there, there really, really is, but there was something that really, really did happen when I was re-diagnosed uh-huh. and people were so generous and kind to me in, in our community mm. that like little aggravations that I felt over the years with my kids or just with everything, like in general, I just became 
so much more forgiving. And mm-hmm. I don't mean like going up to somebody and saying, I'm sorry, or I accept your apology or anything like that. I mean, I really mean like from my heart, like I am just more forgiving. I understand that everybody is coming from a different place and everybody has struggles right? and we all relate to things differently and we all experience things differently. And so I, I kind of have a new perspective, not so much, not necessarily as a mother and a wife, Mm -hmm. but just as a human being. Wow. That is, that is really a truth. And I did not write about that. That's not something that kind of came to me in the moment when I was going through my own struggles. Mm -hmm. Now, the gratitude did for sure. But just in terms of kind of looking at life and the world, and I I don't really know how to expand on that. I just really feel that way. I just feel a little bit more compassionate and understanding that, that we all suffer and we all struggle and we can't pass judgment on how right. other people are and how other people deal with those things. Right. Well, and, and that in and of itself is such a powerful lesson because truthfully, if we could all have that level of empathy and just take things a little bit uh, more lightly and, and like you said, understand that we're all coming from different struggles, different circumstances, and it's, and, you know, be more forgiving and gentler with other people. And, and by extent, we're doing it to ourselves by being gentle and more forgiving with others. We're just living a healthier, happier life. <laughs> yeah, that that is a really beautiful way to put it. And that, that has been my experience. And I will be perfectly honest and say that that was a direct result of going through this a second time and, and the really generous response that people had toward me. Beautiful, beautiful. Stacey, we haven't mentioned the word faith, but every when I hear you talking, uh, it just keeps popping in my head. Um, because I can only imagine there has to be an element of faith um, to a certain degree. Do you have faith in a higher power? Maybe it's God or... Did that play any part in your journey um, at all? I have a very deep belief in spirituality. Mm-hmm. I think we are all very, I think we're all connected. Like a- almost the point where I have kind of felt like almost like a string of connection to people that I love. Right, right. The um, soul connection. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I feel it with, with people in my life. I feel it with people who I've lost in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and we are conservative Jews and we have always been really involved in our community. My kids went to private Jewish school from preschool all the way through high school. And we were really involved and that sense of community and, and honestly kind of the traditions mm-hmm. of Judaism are really what kind of tie us together. Mm. We still are committed to those things. In terms of God, I have, I struggle with whether I like to use that term. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I joke in my book about saying, Oh my God, all the time. Right. <laughs> because I don't, I, you know, I don't want it to be meaningless. Right. Um, but I also didn't want it to be kind of like a religious thing. I don't really know how, how to articulate that. But yes, we have a very deep sense of spirituality in our family, and we have a very deep 
and rich connection to to our faith. Yes, and to your heritage. Any traditions, Stacy? things that you perhaps incorporate in your home, Jewish traditions, I mean, and that they're particularly important to you, either because you learned them from your own, your parents' home, or they were important to your husband and he brought them along, or you just decided that you wanted to do this special thing in your home. Um, anything that's really something Jewish that you're very adamant about in your home? Yes, we are very adamant about my challah recipe. Ooh, really? Yes. So it's interesting what you say about my husband's family and my family. We both grew up at conservative synagogues. And when we met, our families really kind of practiced Judaism in the exact same ways. You know, we all celebrated the same holidays. I mean, we all generally do. Right. Um, But we were all very traditional about that. And so we are still very firm in celebrating all of the holidays together in our home and going to synagogue for that. You know, we do that a little less now as my kids are gone to school, but we were, you know, always very involved with that. But one thing we did from the very beginning, from when my kids were really since they were born is we always celebrated Shabbat in our house. Oh, that's so beautiful. With Friday, Friday night dinner together, you mean? Yes. Yes. Mm. We, we didn't, you know, stay home on Saturdays. It wasn't, you know, to that extent, but every Friday night we had Shabbat dinner together. We lit the candles. We didn't say the prayers. We sang the prayers. Mm -hmm. We didn't sing the short version of, um, of the blessing over the wine. We sang the long version Mm -hmm. and you know, my kids over time started to give us a little bit of grief about that when their friends would come over (laughs) for, but their friends would come over and very joyfully and willingly, you know, join in with us. And we started that tradition really for two reasons. One was because it was a tradition. It was just something that would stick with our kids and stay with them. And we still do it. They're in college, but when they're home on Friday nights, we light the candles and, you know, I bake my challah. But somebody told me early on, or maybe I read something about if you form these traditions, it for us, I, I wanted it to be Friday night because mm-hmm. I do like Shabbat. Right. But even choosing any night of the week to say, this is our family time. This is sacred time where we don't run off and do something else. And, you know, it's just us. We're together. And, you know, we became a little more flexible in high school where if they had, you know, social events, we would try to have dinner together and they could go off. But if we started to get busy and it wouldn't happen, I would make sure it happened at least once every couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, although it really happened more often than that, to be honest, we, we were pretty structured about it. And, they, you know, and then they start to look forward to it. You know, mm-hmm. your kids crave it, not even from a religious experience, but from that tradition. And it doesn't even in their minds, doesn't even have to be a Jewish tradition, even though it is, it is a family tradition. Beautiful. And yeah, it, that has been really valuable to us. And, and, and we would kind of go back and forth between having, uh, you know, people over with us because that's really wonderful to open your home mm-hmm. and, and sometimes scaling it down and saying, it's just the four of us this week because we wanted that family time. Right, right. So tell us about this wonderful challah recipe. Was it your mother-in-law's, your mother? What's the secret here? No, I I came across this recipe in a book I read. Actually, it was a really wonderful book. Gosh, I I think it's called The Jewish Jewish Mom's Guide to Shabbat or something like that. And Uh then I tweaked it a little bit. 
And and now it's Stacy Middleman's challah. <laughs> yeah, and it really became second nature. And I don't even use a recipe anymore. I can just kind of do it, you know, freehand. And um, my daughter actually goes to school in Michigan, and she came home last weekend on her fall break, and she wanted to bake challah to take back to her friends. Nice. So it's definitely like. You know, I love it, honestly, when people ask me to bring my holiday. It has definitely become kind of a special thing in, in our home, and I get a lot of kudos for it, and I I do love that. Like, it's it's joyful to me. So That's that is you. my favorite tradition. We, you know, if you want to expand on this, we definitely have some other traditions besides celebrating the holidays that were, you know, we just, we always wanted to make Judaism fun for our children. Yes, so important. Yes. So we really never try to force anything on them. And we do. We just kind of do it our own way. It's like on the one hand, we're really very, very traditional. And in other ways, we kind of like to have our own twist on things. And when you told me you were, you know, you wanted to ask about traditions, I remembered this very funny thing we did when my kids were young. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we always lit the candles on Friday nights. And we started doing this thing where we would roast marshmallows over the Shabbat candles <laughs> and make s'mores. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. That's a, that's a twist on tradition there. Yeah. It may seem blasphemous, but we... <laughs> thought it was really fun and funny. And that made Shabbat really fun for my kids when they were like four and five and six years old. And so those are the kinds of things where, you know, we, that is our own twist. So. <laughs> uh, all right. So while we're at it, let's do some JLP fill in the blanks. And this is the part of the show where I give you a statement and you fill it with the first thing that comes to mind. Ready? Okay. All right. I'm Stacy Middleman, and I feel most spiritual when? I'm with my family. Beautiful. My favorite mitzvah or one that I connect with the most is? Helping other women who have been through this. Wow. So important and so powerful, and you are certainly doing that. My fondest, sweetest Jewish memory is? The Hanukkah decorations that we put up every year that I made with my kids when they were two and three years old. Oh, and you still put them up as the kids got older, right? Every single year. <laughs> nice. Something I wished I had learned about Judaism growing up is? That's a hard one. It is, eh? <laughs> yeah. You know, I went to Jewish day school. My kids went to Jewish day school. I, Gosh, I really would have to think on that one. I, I, I feel like I understand the holidays and the traditions a lot. I don't know that I really understand all of like, Jewish law, like I'll look that up sometimes. I don't, I don't know, M mm -hmm. maybe to kind of understand deeper the history, because I'm really bad about re remembering history, even if it was taught to me. Mm. Right, right, right. When I give Sadaka charity, I like to give to? I definitely give to breast cancer organizations. Um, I also, disaster relief is huge for me. Mm. Things, yeah. things that are out of people's control um, I, you know, I like to support education and, you know, hunger causes and things like that. But when I see things like, I mean, I know it just happened in Houston, right? Um, when these disasters happen and it is life changing for people and is completely beyond their own doing, because that's really coming from a very personal place because having 
any illness, not just cancer, but having a disease or illness is beyond our control. Right. You know, for the most part. Um, and that compels me because I know what that's like, you know, to, to feel like you're doing everything in your life right. And then these, you know, these things happen in our life that we, we do not have control. And, and I always feel for that and, and compelled to, you know, help in that way. Right. Beautiful. Finally, I'm Stacy Middleman. And today I am most grateful for my life. Wow. So beautiful. You just reminded me I read somewhere that I think it was in your in your Facebook um, page that somebody asked you at some point, what do you do for a living? Do you remember writing about that? And you answered, I live. And that interesting? I absolutely remember that. Yes. I, it was so <laughs> powerful for me to read that. And yes, it's so true. <laughs> that's what we do. And that's what we should focus on people. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Stacey, you are a delight. I look forward to meeting you. You're going to be presenting at the um, Houston's ERJCC Jewish Book and Arts Festival on October 30th, right? Yes. And hopefully this episode will come out that um, Monday morning, so that same day. And I look forward to meeting you. Thank you for writing this. Um, so important, so beautiful. I also know you're very active in educating people about the BRCA gene. Um, do you want to tell us about that a little bit? You know, I will be talking about it at my talk at the JCC on Monday night. Great. I am, I, you know, I have to pull up my notes. I, I'm obviously not a medical expert. I do understand um, this mutation and, and I'm honestly learning more about it every day. Right. Um, and so I do want to educate people about it and why it's so important to get tested. And I can, I can create, tell you. You want to create that awareness, I think, Right. Yes, absolutely. What I can tell you offhand that I understand about it is that, so everybody carries BRCA1 and BRCA2. It's just one of like 20,000 genes that we have in our body. Mm -hmm. um, but you can have a mutation of that gene and it's the mutation that increases your risk of developing cancer. And the reason it is so significant to talk about is that one in 40 Ashkenazi Jewish people are believed to carry this mutation. Right, right. And not only does that sound like a high number, but that is 10 times greater than the general population. Wow. Yes. So it is definitely more common among the Jewish community. And, you know, testing has gotten easier over the years. And I actually believe that some insurance companies will cover it. I don't know the extent of that. Um, so it is important really to meet with a genetic counselor who can kind of guide you through understanding your risk, understanding if you should be tested, you know, if insurance will, you know, cover part of the cost, those kinds of things. Um, but if you do have a strong family history that you know about, it's certainly something to look into. Um, and there, you know, one of the organizations that I support is called Basser Center for BRCA. Mm-hmm. And you can go to their website at basser.org. It's B-A-S-S-E-R.org. And their website is very, very well organized and very informative about answering all these questions, like just kind of understanding what it is, who should be tested, what that means, and all, all that kind of stuff. And, and I will elaborate on that at my talk on Monday night, but that's a very, very good starting point. Fantastic. And I'll be sure to put that in the show notes. 
Stacy Middleman, thank you so much, everybody. The book is Dear Cancer, Love Stacy. I so appreciate your time and sharing with us and your honesty and your beautiful message. Really very inspiring. I'm, I'm sure you're changing lives with your message of hope and resilience. Thank you, Stacy. Thank you so much. Thanks, Stacy Middleman, for stopping by. Her book is Dear Cancer, Love Stacy, and you can find it on Amazon and everywhere books are sold. You can follow Stacy on Facebook at Dear Cancer Love Stacy, and her website is DearCancerLoveStacy.com. If you're in Houston, please join us for Stacy's presentation at Houston's ERJCC Jewish Book and Arts Festival tonight, October 30th at 7.30 p.m. I would love to see you there, so please stop and come say hi. Seriously, I'd love to um, get to connect with some of you. Stacy talked about the Brasser Center for BRCA as an invaluable resource for anyone who needs to find out more about BRCA gene and its mutation. And that website is brasser.org, B-R-A-S-S-E-R.org. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you. Hope you can take a minute to leave a review on iTunes. And please do share the podcast with all the Jewish women you love. Stay tuned for next week's episode all about career pivots with Wendy Sachs. Until then, have a beautiful day. Thanks for listening to Jewish Latin Princess Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on iTunes. Leave a rating and share the podcast with the Jewish women you love. To access today's show notes, ask Yael a question, or suggest a uniquely talented Jewish woman to be featured on the show, visit JewishLatinPrincess.com.